Good evening, everyone. My honor to welcome you all in the second edition of Orange City Literature Fest, organized by SGR Knowledge Foundation. I, Himanshi Gandhari, will be the anchor for this session, and the topic of this session is Desire and Sexuality, an Unseen Side of Society, Educating the Educated, which is of 40 minutes. The panel will get a buzzer sound after 30 minutes to sum up the session. The speaker for this session is, for this session is Madhvi Manan Ma'am, Paru Anand Ma'am, Kishwar Desai Ma'am. Madhvi Manan Ma'am is professor at English and director for the Center of Studies in Gender and Sexuality at Ashoka University. Her most recent book is titled Infinite Variety, A History of Desire in India in 2018. And she is currently at work on finishing a book titled The Law of Desire. Paru Anand Ma'am writes for children, young adults and adults she has spoken about and written extensively on children's literature in India. She also runs a podcast on Hub Hopper called Literature in Action. As a performance, storyteller, and speaker, she has represented India in the USA, UK, Sweden, Switzerland, Singapore, Germany, and Bangladesh. Besides all over India. In 2019, she was awarded the Kalinga Karubaki Literary Award for Fearless Women Writers. Kishwar Desai Ma'am is an award-winning author and playwright who writes both fiction and non-fiction. She works in television as an anchor and producer for over 20 years before becoming a writer. She is the chairperson of the Arts and Cultural Heritage Trust that set up the world's first partition museum at Town Hall Amritsar. Monica Bhagwaga Ma'am will be the moderator of this session. She's a social entrepreneur and owner of designer paper company, Paper Age. Handing the session to you, Monica Ma'am. Yeah, hi, thank you so much, Himanshi. Welcome ladies, it's a pleasure to have such a you write such a well-read, such an acclaimed, highly acclaimed panel here. A warm welcome to you, Madhvi, Paro, and Ishwar. So without much ado, let's begin our session. Desire and sexuality. Unseen side of society, educating the educated. I'm going to go a little off this and discuss with you uh, various nuances of this particular topic, but a little bit differently. So friends, India is a vast country depicting wide cultural and sexual variations. I do believe that Indian concept of sexuality has evolved over a period of time and has been immensely influenced by various influences related to the changing times. And yet, things are still different and awkward. I would now like to begin this session by inviting Madhvi that can can uh, answering this can desire be easily seen and recognized and if not and what are we talking about thanks monica uh, thanks to uh, paro and kishwar and himanshi as well it's a pleasure to be here in such august company um i must say your uh, uh, monica your description of uh, what you think india is about or where you think we're coming from or are going to 
Um, I must say, I found rather optimistic. You know, thankfully there are still optimists among us, uh, like you. Um, but you will forgive me if I don't share that optimism, uh, because I fear that we are actually, in, at least in terms of desire and sexuality, regressing a lot and have been regressing a lot. Um, because of course we have uh, centuries behind us to show us how there was a far greater acceptance of a wider spectrum of desires and uh, sexual orientations, um, not even known as sexual orientations, just sort of multiple sexualities. I sort of keep trying to, I, I joke often about how um, a lot of uh, sexual desires that were casual and widespread among Indic civilizations for thousands of years are almost all illegal in India today, or at least were illegal until very recently. And so that, that sense of us progressing, I think is actually not true at all when it comes to the realm of uh, desire and sexuality. As you know, we're sort of seeing misogyny terrifically on the rise. Uh, and, and there's just sort of all kinds of things that are deeply problematic. But your question to me was about how do we see or how do we recognize desire and sexuality? Um, and of course, those two words are interrelated, but they're also not synonymous with each other. Um, and what I'm interested in is precisely the idea of desire, because for me, it is not something, it can be seen, of course, as something that is related to what we do genitally, what we do physically with our bodies, but it's also much bigger than that. It's also much more than that. It's also what we do mentally. It's also what we do culturally. It's also what we do socially. It's also what we do emotionally. And what's interesting about those aspects is that they can't always be necessarily uh, curated and put in boxes or defined or identified or tagged in any way. And that's why I find desire fascinating, that this is something that is all pervasive, but we don't necessarily know where to look for it or how yeah. to recognize it when we see it. And in fact, this is why I'm sort of, I'd be fascinated to hear Paro talk about it because of course, this is the problem that a lot of young adults and children go through, which is how do we know what we know? Or how do we recognize our desires? Um, and I don't think we ever grow out of that. Uh, but I think what we do more and more of is pretend like our desires are fully known and transparent and recognizable to us. And then of course we act as if it is uh, specifiable and then punish others if they don't abide by our script for desire. Uh, whereas I think when you're younger, you're a lot more forgiving uh, of what, what that can be and, and maybe not. Um, so I think my interest in desire is precisely because it is not recognizable rather than because it is knowable. Okay, that, that's interesting, yeah. So now I'd like to ask Kishwar that what about women's desire as depicted in Indian literature today? Yeah. Uh, thank you, firstly, Monica, and of course, uh, Paro and Madhvi. Uh, lovely to be here with all of you. Um, I do want to talk about, uh, you know, uh, we, we did, uh, when I was being introduced, uh, one spoke about the Partition Museum and other stuff, but I do want to also say that I've just finished a book uh, on Indian cinema uh, based on the life of uh, Devika Rani. It's a biography of hers. And I have also, um, you know, a great sense that cinema itself encourages 
desire in us, you know, because it is uh, not not just literature, but also cinema. So I would like to kind of briefly touch upon both of them. Cinema is actually based on the concept of desire, because when you see a woman or a man on screen, I mean, let's let's uh, open this up and include men as uh, objects of desire as well. So that is the one time, uh, you know, Madhvi, I just want to address this. That is the one time when you do see a kind of an almost naked desire in the audience and that is what helps uh, actresses and actors in order to you know to come up in their careers because when they desire they when they when they're desired by the audience they automatically reach a certain level of hero or heroine worship which becomes kind of very noticeable you know and almost um, a sort of uh, they become like deities you know to us so when we look upon this as a sense of Indian and Indian cinema, we do look at, at Indians being very obsessed. You know, you will see this all over the country. They become obsessed uh, by various women and men. And in fact, their entire uh, lives then go, go out um, in terms of, you know, this fan worship, this kind of blind uh, hero worship. So there you see a desire which, in fact, encompasses all age groups. It's not just, uh, you know, the, the adults who behave like this, but you find even children behaving because they're obsessed. Their object of desire is out there. In literature, it's somehow a little more subtle because what you find in Indian literature, alas, is that very often men express their desire. Some of the most beautiful uh, poems which are written, you know, uh, uh, addressed to women, be it Radha, be it Padmavati, be it whoever, you know, gorgeous, you know, describing them and uh, so on. They're all written by men, but very rarely do you find a similar kind of thing written by a woman and also the, the naked expression, I'm going to use that term again, um, you know, of a, of a woman's desire, you know, in, in, um, uh, in literature. So I was very fascinated when I was writing this book on Devika Rani and um, what I discovered is that women uh despite what we might have as an obvious you know in front of us a kind of literature that is very popular where men object you know uh, they objectify women or they desire women or they they, they have these sexual dreams etc in Devika Rani's case, I found that there were many letters, you know, that, so women have these repressed desires, they may not be yes. out there, may not yeah. be focused. but what was very lovely was the kind of very sexually uh, open letters that she would uh, write to the man that she was in love with. So I am, I am would say that the desire is there. It is uh, expressed a lot more in cinema than in, um, and of course, if you go into ancient India, you find all those sculptures, etc. Won't go into that. But literature is also a forum, so I wouldn't say that it's completely hidden or that it cannot be recognized. Uh, my point is that it is now being recognized in more fierce ways than it was earlier. Thank you. Thank you. That was quite elaborate and has given me also some food for thought because what Madhvi said, some points and yours, some are correlated and some are totally different. So that gives me food for thought. So, Paraji, now, can we have your thoughts on love and sex in children's literature, particularly in India? Um, and thank you to the Orange City Lit, Lit Fest for putting this together. And most of all, thank you for including children's literature in uh, in this subject because 
we would never get included, we meaning the creators of children's literature don't get included in such a grown-up uh, space. Uh, but I just want to go to what Madhavi said about children are more forgiving. I really liked that. And I want to give a very small example of a book that my daughter came upon when she was about 10 years old. Mm, and she had picked it out of one of my friend's shelves. And when she was reading it, she said, Mama, you don't read it. So I said, why? She said, because I'll be very embarrassed if you read it and know I've read it. So I said, okay. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, it's a relationship between a boy and girl. Ha sort of halfway through, she said, Mama, you read the book. So I said, all right, and why? And she said, because there are some questions I have, uh, which I can only ask you after you've read it. So I'm really curious now. And then um, with her, when she finished the book and shut it, and she said, Mama, you must read this book. And I said, why? And she said, because it's a very important book. Now, curiouser and curiouser, I, I start reading the book immediately, thinking it's a relationship between a boy and a girl and then a love story. To my horror at that time, she's 10. Uh -oh. um, it was a relationship between a young boy and an older man. Mm -hmm. And quite explicit in that there no, there, there, there's no uh, question about what, uh, what that relationship leads to. And I'm sweating bullets thinking, what are the questions she's going to ask me? So you know, I, I could see she's watching and I said, okay, what's your question? I was blown away because her question was, they loved each other. Why was society so angry with them? Hmm. Why did they have so much violence? Interesting. And I thought, yeah, children are, accepting, forgiving, and as far as desire and love and sex go, you know, um, look, teenagers, that's when your hormones are raging, that's when you're exploring it, and that's just where the gatekeepers shut the gate tight and say, no, you cannot read this. And one of my books, this one, like more, but banned out of schools because, because there's a brief kiss between a boy and a girl, really brief. Um, this one got banned in some schools because it deals with a young girl who has been raped. It doesn't talk about the... Uh, the physicality of the rape, but the aftermath of it. But even that book doesn't. Now, aren't these subjects that really need to be discussed? True. Especially yes. young people. Yes. Sadly, in children's literature, there is a lot, well, not a lot available, but there's a fair amount available, and there would be more. The trouble is that the gatekeepers, as I call, you know, all the adults who play gatekeeper to children, are somehow more easy 
with the children reading violence and death than they are about them reading love and desire. And I think that's a really sad thing. But uh, uh, just coming back to you, Paro, uh, are the children really reading that much today? Because I think internet has just swamped their lives so much. The social media is basically the teacher. I don't think our kids are reading so much. So when you are talking about children's literature uh, and by some way trying to educate them through books, what would you say to that? I mean, I know, I know, I know uh, um, uh, in our circle, the kids are just not reading. Just not. I honestly think that nobody's reading that much. Whenever I'm asked this question, I always ask the adults, how much are you reading? <laughs> Even teachers, when they say, you know, reading habit, reading habit. And I ask, you know, but how much do you read? And what's the last book you read? And teachers often cannot answer that. That's so the let's all the burden onto children. Yes, there are uh, a lot of options for them, but honestly, the right kinds of books made easily available, children will read them and they are reading them. Okay. Can I just uh, jump in here for a minute? Because I think Paro made Please. a very, very uh, interesting point. Sorry, uh, thank you. Um, made a very interesting point about violence because uh, uh, I also, Paro wrote a book on rape. Uh, it came out, uh, unfortunately, around the same time as uh, the Nirbhaya rape had taken place, the gang rape. I hadn't meant it to coincide with it, but it just did because I think there is such a grave uh, atmosphere at times in, in India, uh, you know, and it has been there for a while, uh, where men uh, and young adults mix up the two things. They mix violence with sex, you know, with sexual gratification of sexual desire is mixed with violence. So and, and they feel that without one, the other cannot exist. And I think the gang rape, the typical gang rape is a kind of it symbolizes that in many ways, where a bunch of friends get together and violently assault a woman. It is almost like, uh, you know, they're expressing their form of desire. This is what they think is how they desire or they love a woman or they uh, they I mean, if, even if it's not love, it is some kind of sexuality, which is being played out. So um, uh, I think love is the wrong word. So, so, you know, my point is that when I was doing the research on this, I did find that a lot of young men did, you know, did find violence somehow sexually gratifying. There was a kind of a mix up. So you're right. There is a need to educate that, uh, you know, desire and sexuality uh, can be something which is uh, almost, uh, you know, it can be gratifying, but in much more uh, sensual and gentle ways, and uh, violence is not the way to be. Yeah. Madhvi, you want to add something to that? I can see you are listening very carefully. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I, I, I agree, of course, that, um, rape is heinous and needs to be discussed, needs to be talked about widely, largely. I think there's no question about that and no doubt about it. Um, I do think though that it might be a bit of a mystification to say that uh, sex is gentle or is not violent. And I wonder if we could actually approach it from the other end, which is to say, uh, to think about our attachment um, to a certain kind of sexual violence. And by sexual violence, I don't mean rape. I don't mean lack of consent. I don't mean any of that. But that there is something violent about sex. 
that there is something that literally takes you out of yourself. And I think we need to sort of uh, need to sort of acknowledge that just in terms of our discourses, rather than sort of vilifying those bad people who rape, those evil people who rape, um, actually to think about violence and sex as perhaps more integrally related than not on the one hand. On the other hand, the other thing I would say is um, that the kinds of gang rapes that we have, and I, I don't know if this is how uh, Paro, Paro, I mean, she wasn't talking about gang rape, of course, so that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, but the kinds of gang rapes we have, and this is what goes back to what I was saying earlier, that desire and sexuality is as much psychic as it is physical. That the way in which men feel a certain need to live up to their position of privilege that they're accorded in a patriarchal society, the way in which they have been elevated to occupy positions that are absolutely unrealistic, and the reality of their lives, which are often absolutely horrible and hideous and penurious. And to try and sort of link the one with the other is always going to be a violent process. And so the idea is not necessarily to say that X kind of violence is bad or Y kind of violence is good. It is to say that this violence actually has nothing to do with people who know themselves or people who are happy with themselves. This violence is always a product of deep unhappiness and a deep lack of a fit. Which is why, of course, we have so many gang rapes, because these men travel in packs. And they travel in packs precisely because they do not feel self-sufficient. They do not feel comfortable in their own skin. And there is a deep psychic study that needs to be done about why, you know, and this is actually the title of a book that came out this year about why men rape. Um, and, and as I said, it's sort of psychic, it's psychological, it's emotional, it's social, it's socioeconomic. Um, it's not just what we might call genital or sexual. You know, we're living in a in a culture in which women are seen as objects of desire for men. Um, men are seen as people who should get whatever they desire. You do the maths and put those two scenarios together, and then yeah. what do you? So, so Madhvi, just to add to a little bit, I think what has happened now is that uh, thanks to social media, these kind of messages move around much faster than they possibly did in the past. Uh, the, the messages of rape or so on, that this is this is how you fulfill your sexual desires. This is happening very often because you have husbands raping wives and then putting the video up. So it's not necessarily something which is uh, only young men who are sexually or otherwise frustrated. I do also want to add, because my first book was Witness the Night, which was actually about female feticide and infanticide. And so um, in the research that I was doing later on and for the book on gang rape and so on, I discovered that there is also a problem because there is a, um, you know, the, there, there are less number of women to go around, there are less number of accessible women for these men because of, you know, years and years of female infanticide and feticide. And as a result, men have less chances of having a healthy relationship uh, with a young woman. What they see at home are fathers beating up wives, the girl child is the last one to get the food, et cetera, et cetera. So they're already, I mean, even by the time they become these packs and so on, they have already been, I always say that the first violence a girl encounters is within her own home. Yeah. And most of these people have seen that kind of sexual violence taking place within their own home. So when they come out, yes, they can be dysfunctional, but that 
that is not to say that you know this uh, this is a, what what you're saying is that of course this is the patriarchy etc but i'm saying that recently modern society has put additional burdens of the on the way we approach sex in the way we approach desire in the way we approach violence and these are all interrelated i think para want to say something I wanted to say that, uh, you know, Madhavi, in, uh, at the Chandigarh Literature Festival that we were uh, together at, um, I had read this, uh, the, the, the rape story, and it's told from many different points of view. It's kind of 360 degrees mm. uh, of what happens to, um, I, I hope you can. Uh, yes. Oops. Yeah, okay. Um, so I, uh, so it it has various points of view, right? And I um, was also wanting the mother of the rapist to come and mm. to go to the prison where the rapist is being held, and ask him why, what gave you permission to do this? And I found while I was writing it, I didn't want to face him. I couldn't go in and I didn't want to give him a voice. And so I didn't. And I've left the story there with a blank page to say, I don't yeah. know what happened. Lock this video for me. I don't know why. Um, the icon. I don't know what's happened. <laughs> I've been having lots of problems with this. Uh, just to say, just check uh, on your icon video. of your yes, video. Huh. Just check the icon of your video. Okay, never mind. Keep trying. Yeah, is there? No, we don't see you. It'll come. Pablo, I, I just want to say, I mean, while you're trying to get your video on. Oh, sorry, carry on. You're back. Okay, so. Um, so I didn't want to go in and I've left this black page at the end of that story. Um, the number of people who came uh, to me, including a very elderly man, and he was crying and he they said, thank you for writing this story. And one young girl, a college girl said, what gives them the permission? What gives a man the permission to do it starts very early. It's when the boy get the brother gets the hot roti and the girl gets the uh, cold one when the brother gets the chicken leg and the girl when the brother gets the chicken leg and the girl gets the neck and it starts there that gives him the permission to be superior and do as he pleases uh, paru i just if i just can step in there i love this idea of not naming i was just sort of thinking of uh, you know jacinda ardern new zealand's wonderful prime minister after the Christchurch massacre, the Islamophobic massacre, you remember she said, I will not name the perpetrator. I will not name the murderer. And it seems to me that we have got things completely upside down, that we do not name the woman who was raped in Delhi, calling her instead Nirbhaya. Um, and we, uh, we name the rapists. And I think the onus of shame, the onus of being outcast from society, has to fall on the rapist, not on the woman who is raped. And we really need to shift that focus ASAP, despite all our sort of well-meaning attitudes about protecting women.
Uh, Madhvi, can, can I just shift the focus back, if you don't mind, because, you know, for me, the whole idea of desire is very seductive. You know, I always feel that when you desire something, when you're passionate, and it can be sexual, it can be asexual, it can be anything. But, of course, if, if it is joined with sex, wow, kya baat hai. But I'm saying that it need not, I mean, Madhvi said something very important, uh, sorry, uh, 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 yeah, Madhvi said something very important a little while ago, which was that she said that there is an innate violence which is linked to perhaps the act of sex. Uh, I would uh, I would kind of disagree because I think in my mind, uh, the best books, the best uh, sexual uh, literary scenes which are described are always gentle, always sensuous, always something to do. And even the act itself, even the physical act itself, unless it is accompanied by love and, and gentleness and all that, uh, I think it, it loses its uh, kind of charm. And, and somewhere, uh, I think that is what too much of it, perhaps too much accessibility online and others have kind of spoiled it for us because we even say things like, oh, porn is okay and this is okay and that is okay yes that is violent sex and that is not exactly desire that is just a that's just an act of sex which is taking which is supposed to turn you on but i am talking about desire in its purest form which can be a sexual thing uh, and it need not be violent i i don't i don't actually understand why uh, Madhvi said this because uh, I mean I don't know I mean in my experience has never been violent I'm pretty old now so <laughs> I, I think uh, I you're talking about the limited sector you're talking about the limited sector and you're lucky you're privileged to experience the joys and the delight of of sex but I think what Madhvi was talking about was the other side of the belly so yes Madhvi no, not necessarily I think I think our idea of violence is always historically contingent and always socially shifting. So what we would call violent today, for instance, uh, sex between an older person and a younger person, and by younger we mean anybody below 18 legally, uh, but of course, you know, any anything that's, uh, that's well below that as well. And if you look at almost all the famous love stories in the world, um, people are young, they are minors. And so would we call that violent? Today we would. Uh, at that time, we wouldn't. So I, I really do think that I, I can't. I'm not saying no one else can. I cannot make a blanket trans-historical, trans-social statement about what is and what is not violent. And I think that by sort of saying sex should be X, whatever X is, X, Y, Z, gentle. I'm saying it can be. I'm, I'm not saying it should be. Well, I can be. Sorry, I heard. I heard a sort of prescriptiveness there, and I think that's what I'm. No, putting. no, 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 no. Yeah. I, I felt that you were giving a blanket thing to it that it is there is a it's a violent act and all that. Whereas I feel that they, they should be a, a more nuanced way of looking at sex and desire, and definitely one size does not fit all. Well, we are in complete, We are in complete agreement about the nuance, and so that's why I also would not use the word purity or pure form of sex in any way. No, who's it's saying pure? I never use the word pure. I would not. I think you did. It. I think I heard that. No, but no, maybe no. I took it wrong. <laughs> like, I'll give you an example. I, I went to a lot of social work, and uh, there was a case where a woman came battered. And when we asked her, What is the issue? She says, My husband sees these porn clips on the mobile, and then he thinks it's the done thing, it's natural. So he comes and does it on to me. 
And I said, why do you allow it? So she says, better me. Then he goes outside. Oh. And second thing, do you, do you think the suppressed sexuality and all this violence erupting because of suppression of sex or like oh, any other reason, like the ratio of men and women is not equal? Do you think that in that case, prostitution should be legalized? Do you think that will help like in civilized societies? Do you think it will help us? Well, it is, it is legal in India. Prostitution is legal in India. It's not illegal. Uh, but the law is very, um, very uh, sneaky about this. Yes. It, makes illegal, it makes illegal everything supporting prostitution. So it bans all but prostitution. Um, absolutely. I think there is no question. And, and this is also goes back to what we were just talking about. I think the idea of having sex as a commercial enterprise should be absolutely a viable endeavor and should not be sort of recuperated in the register of gentleness or purity or kindness. Sex is work and can be work for many people. And we need to support that absolutely. I, I think the word I used definitely was gentle. I did never use the word pure. So I think I do, I do want to insist upon that again. And the other thing I just want to say is that in most, yes, you're right, in most civilized societies, including UK where I live most of the time, is uh, that, yes, any kind of sexuality, I mean, you will have these front page articles coming out on people. Uh, you know, you remember that book called Fifty Shades of Grey? That was nothing but violence by the man upon a woman it was a bestseller so obviously there are a lot of people out there who enjoy this kind of sex enjoy reading about this kind of sex and it gives them the sort of sexual freedom to do what they want in their own homes but as you said you know with that woman who got battered these are things which have to be looked upon that what does the woman desire what does the man desire and obviously there has to be some kind of a meeting point alas in societies like india especially today where i think the number of women watching porn clips would probably be far far fewer i would say than men watching uh, porn clips because you know that is where they are getting no 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 Okay. The number of women are watching is far more higher today. Exactly. It's far more higher. That is why, because our sexuality is still suppressed. No, 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 no. I'm yes. Something else. I'm talking about something else. I'm talking about the number, the absolute number of men watching porn. I'm saying that there has to be a balance in a sense that the way women approach sex and the way men approach sex possibly can be, uh, you know, met. At a particular point, if if there is dialogue and there is conversation and there is openness, but in most of the time there is a kind of an imposition because, as you you yourself said, in the case of the woman who is um, her men husband is watching a particular kind of porn, comes and exercises that on his wife. She doesn't know what what all this is about, but and she may not even want it. So they, then it becomes a violent act. You know what I mean? That it if it is done without both of them desiring it, it becomes a violent act. So that kind of education, that kind of thinking, that kind of, uh, um, you know, we we don't have that sort of openness in the society as we do have it. I just wanted to jump in and say one thing here. We're yeah. talking openness, I think. Yeah. I, at the end of every session when I'm talking to children, I always ask, so what are the kind of subjects that you think should be written about for young people? And it's the after conversation that after the teachers have gone and everything, these one or two kids who have something very important to say, who will come and quietly say it to me. 
so there was a, in a small town in Haryana, uh, there was this young 11, 12 year old who came and she said, and if I can say it in Hindi, I think it's it's more using her own words. Uh, she said, I said, I said, she said, Aapne Viredi wedding dekhi hai. So I said, Haan. She said, Aap jante ho kis scene ke baare mein main pooch rahi ho. <laughs> so I said, Haan, main samajh gai. And she said, Aap uske baare mein kyun nahi likhte ho. Now here's an 11, 12, 13 year old girl in a small Ariana town saying, write a story on self-gratification. Could I write it? Well, maybe yes. Would it be published? Very unlikely. Would it reach a school? Never. Hmm. That's my point of, you know, this uh, discordance between uh, what is it that children desire and young people need and what is it that the gatekeepers try and keep out. Right. Uh, I, you know, I actually feel we're just warming up to this whole topic. I was just beginning to enjoy this and it is so sad that we have to wind up because I still have a lot many questions I have to ask you all. I, I can see that I, I actually haven't my desire not satisfied as yet. <laughs> but I'll leave you with a thought that we are getting ready with a particular topic and in a, in a close forum where we'll be talking about women and sex at 60. Huh. So something to think about and uh, I will uh, take your leave by thanking you so much. Uh, I just is very unfair because um, I'm actually feeling bad because I, I do want to hear you more. I do want to understand more from you, but then we've been given a very limited time and we're um, completing our 40 minutes. Uh, I want to know what Kishore has to say. I want to know what Maddie's. And what is interesting in the way you both had your own, all of you had your own different thoughts, and yet the goal was the discussion, which went off very healthy. So, ladies, thank you very much. I really enjoyed myself. I hope you did too. Thank you. Yes, we did. <laughs> and I great. think we have to continue this uh, sooner or later. Yeah, thanks. Right? Yeah, thanks, everybody. Thank you. Himanshi wants to say something. Himanshi. Thank you, panelists. Thank you so much for the amazing session. On behalf of Orange City Literature Fest, we, will, we sincerely express our gratitude towards your acceptance for the session and knowledge shared with us. I would also like to thank our publisher, Speaking Tiger, Penguin Classes for their cooperation. Thank you so much to everyone. Right. Thank you. Thank you.